Well, we are in a serious message called Erase and Rewind, and it is about changing our mind. But before I go into that, I want to pause for a minute. I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you, uh, you may know or you kind of regularly come across someone in our community that is Hispanic and maybe they don't know English, you know, perfectly? How many know people like that? Or you may come across them in your travels, maybe different place in Frederick. Can I just see your hands? Okay, that's a lot of hands. Um, on your programs, I believe, there were two cards. And uh, you may not know, but we have people that are back in a little room over here off to the left. And they are doing live translation of these messages every single Sunday. So we have this wonderful opportunity to be a blessing to the Hispanic community. But it's honestly, it's going to depend on us to get the invites out there, to get the information out there. These folks work so hard translating my message. Can you imagine trying to translate what I say each and every week? I mean, I make words up as I go in English. And so, uh, but please, this, we, we just feel like this is some uh, special opportunity that God's kind of given us, and these folks have worked so hard. So let's do our part to try to, you know, leave a card somewhere, give an invite to somebody in the community. All right. This series, we said, it is about changing our mind. God has given us this incredible capacity to change the way we think, to receive new information and completely change the way we think about things and ultimately to change our entire lifestyle. There's a word in the New Testament that I shared with you before, and I'll share this each week. 58 times we find this word in the New Testament. The Greek word is metanoia. The New Testament was written in Greek, Old Testament in Hebrew and Aramaic. And this New Testament word, it's often... Uh, translated repent or repentance but what it really meant to the people that first read it in the first century to change one's mind based on new insight it didn't have anything to do with you know mourning for your sins or praying you know about your sins and forgiveness it had nothing to do with that it meant to change the way you think about something because you have now received new information today we're going to talk about considering if maybe our loving God has brought us here because he wants us to consider and erase and rewind when it comes to our priorities. Now, if I were to ask you what your priorities are, you may quickly be able to say what they are. Or you may not. Most of us, I suspect, would be a little bit fuzzy on what our priorities are. And sometimes it's hard to tell what somebody's priorities are, but sometimes it's really, really easy to tell what some priorities are, a person's priorities. There's a guy named Ali uh, Demakaya or Demerkaya. And he is a soccer fan. Let me see soccer fans in here. Can I see your hands? No, we're Americans, man. We like football, real football. Uh, no, no, soccer's good. <laughs> I'm going to be on everybody's side. Um, but he is a soccer fan, and particularly he loved his local team. And he loved them so much that evidently he got a little bit carried away in the stands. And so they had to bar him from their games for a while. Well, his team was going to have a championship game, and, and it was just eating him alive that he couldn't get to the game. And so he came up with this idea, and here, here it is. He rented a crane <laughs> since he couldn't go in the stadium. <laughs> now, you can tell what his priorities are. It's not hard. It's not hard to figure it out at all. <laughs> but with some of us, it's not so easy. It's not so easy at all to tell what our priorities are. Now, there's a statement I want to share with you. I believe it's going to come up here any second. There it is. Priorities are the building materials that construct our lives. Let, let that sink in for a minute. Priorities are the building materials. If you picture a house, for example, 
The priorities that we actually have, not the ones that we think we have or that we want to have, but the priorities that we actually have are the building materials. They are what really, truly construct our lives. So it just causes us to pause for a minute and think, if my life is not constructed the way that I feel real good about it right now, maybe a loving God is here to help me change my mind about my priorities because it's our priorities that are the materials that construct, that actually construct our lives. Now we're going to look at a guy in scripture who goes through um, quite a change of mind about his priorities and completely changes the direction of his life. So if you don't mind, go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah. It'll be uh, page 524 in those Bibles near you on your chair. And we'll look at Nehemiah, <coughs> excuse me, beginning in chapter 1, and I'm going to read just a few verses in chapter 1, and I'm going to take you to chapter 2 and maybe one or two others. When you turn into Nehemiah, just a, a couple little facts about it. Nehemiah is chronologically actually the last book of the Old Testament. In other words, the timeline of the Old Testament ends with the book of Nehemiah. Now, in your Bible, there are books that come after Nehemiah, but the actual historic timeline ends there, and you go into what has been called the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you're about 445 B.C. when you start into this book of Nehemiah. A lot, a lot of things have happened. The, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel have been completely dispersed. They, they've been taken into an Assyrian captivity, first the 10 tribes in 722 B.C., and then in 586 B.C., the two southern tribes were taken into captivity for 70 years in Babylon. Jeremiah 25, 11, Jeremiah prophesied they'd be in there for 70 years. He also predicted they would return to their land, rebuild their temple, and they did. 516, uh, they rebuilt their temple. 536, Cyrus, the Persian ruler, sent the Jews back to rebuild their temple. So now something has happened, though. They rebuilt their temple, get the picture, in 516, after being in captivity for 70 years. But they never bothered to rebuild the walls around their city. Now, in biblical days, that was an unthinkable thing. You had no respect. You had no dignity. You had no identity. You had no protection if you didn't have walls. And here these people were supposed to be the people of the creator of the universe, the people of the living God, with his temple at the center of their life, but no walls. Their walls around their city were laying in debris and had been laying in debris for over 100 years. And they did nothing. So that's kind of the context. Let's pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1. And let's start right in verse 1. These are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Aren't you glad I'm reading it and not you? <laughs> it so happened that in the month of Kislev, in the 12th year, excuse me, in the 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel. Hanani, who was one of my relatives, along with some of the men from Judah, came to me, and I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant that remains from the exile there in the province are experiencing considerable adversity and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem lie breached, and its gates have been burned down. Now look at his reaction in verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down abruptly, crying and mourning for several days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Glance now, if you would, at verse 11. Let's jump there. Please, O Lord, listen attentively. Here's the gist of his prayers. Please, O Lord, and listen attentively to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants 
who take pleasure in showing respect to your name. Grant your servant success today and show compassion to me in the presence of this man. Now I was cupbearer for the who? The king. All right, pause for a minute. Let me just kind of set this. So Nehemiah is this Jewish guy who evidently has been brought into exile. First, maybe his relatives were brought into Babylon, and then the Persians took over, and now he finds himself brought up in this pagan culture. But he's evidently been very trustworthy, and he's gained the attention of enough people that he is given actually the most trusted position in the kingdom, the king's cupbearer. What this meant was this, was that when the king was about to eat some food or drink something, this man, Nehemiah, would taste it first. So this was a really, really good job. You ate the best food. You drank the best beverages. Unless that is somebody was trying to assassinate the king. And then your job was over. You know? But you only have that happen once. Up until that point, you've got a fat city job. You, know? you live in the palace. You're surrounded with luxury. You're wealthy. You eat the best food. You get the best treatment. You have the king's ear. You, know, you can talk with him anytime. You know, you're, you're a person of influence. So here's this guy living this cushy life, but he's never forgotten his God. He's never forgotten his creator. And when he hears that the people who have gone back and even though they rebuilt the temple, they've done nothing to reconstruct the city walls, nothing to give to the dignity, the place where God's people dwell that it should have had, it just rips him to pieces. He, he bursts into tears. Now, what you don't know from reading this portion of Scripture, you'll see it when we get in chapter 2 in a minute. He goes through this for four months. For four months, he's mourning and he's weeping and he's praying and he's thinking about this and it's, he just can't get it off his mind. You ever had something that just gets to you? All of a sudden, it turns you upside down, inside out from the inside, and then it just eats at you day after day after day. You just can't get it off your mind. You're, you're so tormented about it until... Until you decide, I've got to do something about this. I, 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 I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't feel equipped to do anything. I don't even know if I can do anything, but I can't sit here any longer like this. I have got to do something. Have you ever, ever experienced something similar to that? Just curious. Yeah, and that's, that's what happens to Nehemiah. Let's pick up. So now, he's praying and he's concerned because he was the king's cupbearer. Let's go to chapter 2. Then in the month of Nisan, this is how we know it's four months have gone by since he first got the new information about Jerusalem and the condition of the people of God. Then in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to me, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Previously, I had not been depressed in the king's presence. So the king said to me, why do you appear depressed when you aren't sick? What can this be other than sadness of heart? This made me very fearful. Now, why would he have been fearful that the king detected his sadness? Because to be sad in the presence of a Persian king, it might mean that's your last day of life. You had to be happy, 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 upbeat, 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 positive, 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 cheerful, cheerful, cheerful around the Persian king. If you were a downer, you would be a downer maybe one time, and that was the end of your, your life. And so that's why he was afraid. He was taking a risk of his entire life. Four months he'd been thinking about this. Four months he'd been praying about it. Now he's going to take the actual risk. Look at verse 2. Oh, excuse me, verse 3. 
I replied to the king, O king, live forever. That's a good start. (laughs) Why would I not appear dejected when the city with the graves of my ancestors lies desolate and its gates destroyed by fire? The king responded, What is it you're seeking? Then I quickly prayed to the God of heaven. Notice how he just fires up a prayer real quick. I quickly prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If the king is so inclined, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, dispatch me to Judah, to the city, with the graves of my ancestors, so that I can what? Rebuild it. This was big. This was really, really big. It had been sitting in this wrecked condition for 71 years. And it was a real risk because to rebuild the city, it might have been a bit of a political threat to the Persian king himself. Why do you want to rebuild that city? You're not thinking about rebelling, are you? That could have gone through his mind. We don't know. But it didn't. Look, if you would now, at verse 17. uh, Excuse me, 17. let, let, let Let me give you a little more background, and then we'll go to verse 17 and 18 in a minute. So the king gives him permission. Not only does he give him permission, he says, listen... I'll give you protection. It's an 800-mile journey from Susa, the citadel, where he was at to Jerusalem. He says, I'll give you protection along the way, plus I'll give you all the lumber you need, all all the labor supplies, everything you need to rebuild your city walls. So he goes. He makes the 800-mile journey. He arrives in Jerusalem, and people know this is a big shot. You know, he's from Persia, but who is he? What is he here for? What does he want to do? And plus, he's a Jew. How can he be a big shot, you know, Persian, and he's a Jew? They're all confused about this guy. He peruses the city. He looks all around. He sees the damage of the walls. And then he gathers the Jews together. And, of course, they're wondering, what's happening? Why is this guy here? And this is what he says to them, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the problem that we have in Jerusalem. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned. Come on, let's rebuild this wall of Jerusalem so that this reproach will not continue. Then I related to them how the good hand of my God was on me and what the king had said to me. Then they replied, let's begin rebuilding right away. So they readied themselves for the good project. So here's the start of this rebuilding of the city walls that have laid desolate for 71 years. Now, the interesting thing is, we'll look in a minute at chapter uh, 6, and we'll see that it literally only took 52 days. They had this massive workforce there. They just were lazy. They weren't motivated. They weren't inspired. They wouldn't take any risk for the work of God. They did nothing for 71 years, but it took one man who cared so much that he had to do something to set fire in the hearts of these people, and the wall is rebuilt in 52 days. They face all kinds of opposition. Some of the surrounding tribal peoples threatened to attack them, threatened to, to overtake them in their sleep. They had, to, they had to form armed guards who guarded while they did the building work. He goes through all this stuff. He has to solve problems amongst the people themselves. They're getting overwhelmed by how hard the work was. It was so much rubble. They had some problems with taxation, and, and he has to resolve all these things. Here's the point. Nehemiah had a sweet, fat, easy life and all of a sudden he gets new information and this new information completely wrecks him because he really cares about God and God's people and so all of a sudden his priorities completely change I want to suggest that up until this point his priorities in his life may have been what I'm calling today incidental priorities I think a lot of people have incidental priorities. And here's what I mean by incidental priorities. We, we didn't really sit down based on our perspective and our values and think things through and create intentionally what our priorities are so that they will uh, help us realize the things we value. I'll get more into that later in the message. 
I just think he kind of drifted along. You know, he was a guy, he found himself a Jew in captivity in, in the Persian Empire. He got some attention. He had a fat job offered to him. Life got easy, and he just let things go. He just let it happen. Often, you and I have priorities, but they're not priorities that we, we put together intentionally. Life just happened. Uh, our culture, our family, our friends, uh, opportunities that came, opportunities that didn't come, all kinds of things contributed, but, but our priorities that we have right now, and we do all have priorities, whether we know it or not, they weren't something that we sat down with objectivity and with a prayerful mind said, this will be the priorities for my life. And remember what I said. Our priorities are the actual material that constructs our actual life. It's our actual priorities, not the priorities that we think we may have. That's important as well. So we see this man, Nehemiah, because he gets this new information, he changes his mind, he changes his priorities, and all of a sudden the work of God consumes him. And because of that, he goes to places. Listen to this, because this is what the Spirit of God is trying to say to some of you. Because he was willing to take in new information about God and God's work in people, he goes to a place that he would never, ever have gone to unless he received this new information. He started doing some things that he had no past experience. He was not equipped. He was not competent. He didn't have any construction experience. He didn't have any experience in organizing people or inspiring people. And ultimately, he becomes the governor in Jerusalem for 12 years. He had no experience in this kind of stuff. He had no reason to feel equipped to do this. He goes there not knowing if the people will like him, reject him, accept him, or even attack him. He doesn't know. He doesn't know if the king is going to accept any of the things that he's going to suggest. He's risking his life. He was utterly unequipped. Sometimes, sometimes we lock ourselves into this little box. We say, you know, I, 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 really, I really can't do much or I can't do anything or I don't know that I have the right experience or I don't know that I, I even have the, the vision for certain things. And, and God's not looking for vision. He's not looking for people that are competent. He's not even looking for people that are equipped. You know what the first thing he's looking for? Let me go further. Maybe the only thing that he's looking for, what happened to Nehemiah when he heard about the condition that God's city was in and God's people were in? It wrecked him. What is the singular thing that God looks for in a human heart? He looks for people that really care about what he cares about. I was working on this message and it threw me back to age 23. Age 23 is when I first came to trust Christ and become his follower. And, and immediately all I knew is that I wanted to give my entire life to this one who created this universe and yet loved me enough to let me know about it and draw me to himself. I knew one thing. I cared. I wanted to throw myself into the work of God. I was unequipped. I was, you know, the least likely candidate that anybody would look at, but I just knew one thing. I cared, and I cared so much. I had to do something. And that was Nehemiah. And that changed the trajectory of his life. And his priorities went from being incidental, just things that he kind of inherited, to all of a sudden becoming very intentional. And it took him places where he wouldn't have went, and he did things that he wouldn't have accomplished. And he became somebody that God always meant him to become. And he did the things that God always intended him to do that he never had any idea that he could do or should do. Is God talking to you? Is he talking to somebody that you've just been kind of circling the wagon? 
and he's just waiting to see can he get you to care enough to get reckless and give your life your whole life to him to his work we tend to have incidental priorities they just get kind of amassed around us in the book of psalms 39 it says this it says in truth in truth each of us journeys through life like a shadow we busy ourselves accomplishing nothing busy but accomplishing nothing piling up assets we can never keep we can't even know who will end up with those things our priorities they just aren't things that have been clearly thought through for most of us to be perfectly honest but there are some of us that have priorities that are well thought through, but they might not be wise. Um, came across this article about the goat. Everybody know what the goat, who the goat is? Greatest of all time? That'd be my man, Tom Brady. <laughs> um, now I am hated. You hate me from your heart. Everybody hates the winning, a winning team and a winning guy. Um, listen to this statement. This is a bit shocking. I mean, he knows what his priorities are, but are his priorities wise? He says this. He says, what are you willing to do and what are you willing to give up to be the best you can be? You only have so much energy and the clock is ticking on all of us. If you're going to compete against me, you better be willing to give up your life because I'm giving up mine. And the writer of that Washington Post article went on to say this. He said, for Tom Brady, football has become religion. No, really. He meant really. That's a religious statement. I'll give up my life. For this, are you ready to give up yours? That's the attitude this guy has. Now, that's a, a very admirable attitude, but for something that's not worthy of that kind of dedication. That's why Romans 12 urges us to do this. It says, don't conform yourselves to the standards of this world. This world will give us the notion that that kind of a passionate pursuit of anything is okay as long as you're passionate about it. Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your what? Erase and rewind our minds. And in this case, our priorities. So last week I shared a little, little diagram I put together for you. And this will help us to understand, well, well how do you develop not incidental priorities that you're not sure how they came about or where they came from, but, but intentional priorities. So let's start on a pathway that's going to take us toward that. Here's a little chart. I showed you how last week that we come into this world with just a natural perspective. We're time-bound. We, we know that we're here, but we don't know how long we're going to be here. We don't know anything past death. We're sense-governed. If we can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, or hear it, we're not sure that it exists. And we're driven by the fear of death. We don't know when we're going to die, but we do know we're going to die. This makes us pursue self-preservation first and foremost and self-gratification second. Self-gratification means I just, I don't know how long I'm going to be alive, so I'm going to have as much fun as I can. I just want to be happy. And whatever seems to make me happy, that's what I'm going to pour my life into. That's how most people you will ever meet live. That's the governing philosophy of their life. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They don't know how we're designed to live. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what God's purpose and plan is for them what happens after death they know none of that they're living since since governed and time bound and driven by the fear of death but then there's a spiritual perspective this is very different instead of being time bound it's eternal and unlimited I don't see myself as a creature that's here today and gone tomorrow I see myself as a creature that's going to go on for eternity 
It's revelation governed. And by that I mean this is that this new perspective on life is based on information that the creator has revealed, passed on, preserved to us, contained in this unique book. And so now when I look at reality, I'm not bound by my senses. I'm bound by this revelation of the universe and eternity that the creator has given to us. And instead of being driven by the fear of death, I'm driven by the certainty of everlasting life. That's why I don't have to be in some panic hurry to get it all now because you can't get it all now anyhow. And I don't have to have some goofy bucket list because you only go around once. Oh, no, 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 no. The scripture says that whoever puts their trust in Christ their creator and becomes his follower, he gives to them the free gift of immortality, everlasting life. Not only does he forgive us all of our sins, but he gives to us immortality. Therefore, I don't have to be, you don't have to be in a panic hurry to get it all now because you can't get it all now anyhow. So there's a huge difference. Now, when you take this process and now you start to say, well, how do we get priorities? What, what's the right way to derive priorities? Here's another little chart I put together. So perspective, and I'm going to assume that you've embraced the spiritual perspective on life. That spiritual perspective will create values. In other words, I now can see life from God's vantage point, and it tells me this is eternally important. This is not eternally important. This always matters. This doesn't matter as much. So my values are created by God's revelation about the truth about life. And from my values, this is important, should come my priorities. Okay, they should follow. I should intentionally construct priorities that will see to it that my values are achieved and these priorities then lead to practices. And that's why I said that it's our priorities that are the material by which we actually construct our life. Now, there's a statement I want to share with you. Priorities are what we, or, or excuse me, priorities are what actually gets attention. This is important because I've met numerous people through the years that, that we have a set of priorities in our minds. In other words, these are the priorities we want to be following and living by. These are the priorities we even think we're living by, but they may not be the priorities that we actually are living by. And so it's what we're actually giving attention to. That's the priority. What doesn't get attention, it may be a theoretical priority, but it is not an actual priority. The question is, is it incidental attention or is it intentional attention are my priorities just things that I've just kind of bumped around in life and now I've developed these priorities and I'm not really sure why or are they priorities that have resulted in that perspective values priorities and practices module that I talked about so if we have developed uh, spiritual uh, values and spiritual priorities here's a little tool that can help us because even once we have a, a good construct on our priorities, there's still times where it's tough to know how to, how to invest our time. How many struggle sometimes with just knowing where, where do you invest the time? You just see your hands. It's a real juggling match. Well, here's, here's something called an Eisenhower chart, uh, correctly called because it was made by Dwight Eisenhower. Um, I have a particular affection for Eisenhower because when I was in the first grade, he was the president uh, of the country at that time. In my little weekly reader, there was, there was Ike, Ike Eisenhower. Uh, he was president from um, 1953 to 1961. So he made this. He was also a five-star general. He was over all the troops in Europe during World War II. He was an incredible man. Um, anyway, here's his little chart, and I thought this might be very helpful for us 
to kind of take these priorities and, and manage them even better. Look at the top in the left hand, the dark orange, and you can see some things are important and urgent. And Eisenhower says, do those immediately. If it's important and urgent, do it immediately. But then to the right, the lighter orange, you see he says, it's important, but it's not urgent. Decide when to do it, which means schedule it now. It's actually the light orange that as Christ followers, we need to put the most emphasis on. We need to make sure that we are scheduling so that the attention and time is given to the things that we believe are truly eternally valuable. We need to work on that real hard so that the darker orange doesn't crowd out everything else. Then you go down the dark blue at the bottom. It's not important, but it's urgent, delegated. So let's say you, you have to have a meeting with someone about something, but instead of you being there, since it's not urgent, get somebody else to be there. See to it that it's done, but you don't have to be the one to do it. And then finally, the light blue, it's neither important or it's urgent. Do it later or don't do it at all. You know, these are the things we have in spare time. You, you want to just, you know, blase out and watch some TV or whatever it is you do, then do it. But make sure these other things are, are getting done in the appropriate um, uh, percentage that they should be. All right, I, I thought that was helpful. I hope you do as well. So now, let's turn the corner a bit from uh, incidental priorities to determining intentional priorities, all right? Here's some suggested material from Jesus in Matthew 6. He says, don't, don't worry and ask yourselves, will we have anything to eat? Will we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? He goes on. Only people who don't know, what does it say? Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. It's the stuff of daily life. It's, Jesus was just generalizing. It's the stuff that people worry about every day. He says, your Father in heaven knows that you have need of all these things. He's not begrudging us of these things, but more than anything else. Now Jesus is saying, okay, listen carefully. Focus in. Here's the value. Here's the priorities to set your, your life around. But more than anything else, put what? God's work where first. And do what he wants or do his will. Seek his will in all things. Then the other things will what? Be yours as well. He's saying God, God knows you need these things. Age 23. I mentioned it earlier in the message. Age 23. I realized that God not only was willing to forgive me, that he not only loved me, but he would allow me to serve him. And that's when I put his work first in my life and no regrets, no regrets whatsoever. So here's Jesus giving us a good picture of intentional priorities. He's saying, don't just let things happen. Set your schedule, prioritize the kingdom of God, make time for it, give attention to it, and you will not be sorry. Nothing else will be neglected is what he's promising. In the New Testament book of Colossians, in the New Testament chapter uh, 3, verse 2, it says this, it says, set your mind and keep focused habitually. Notice it's ongoing habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on the things that are on the earth, which have only what? Temporal value. You use them, they're thrown away, they're gone. So God's saying, my children, my people, you who I love, man, don't throw away your time and your talent and your treasure. Invest your life in things that are going to have eternal repercussions. 
Don't burn your life out on prioritizing things that all end up in the trash heap or underground at some point in your life. Well, I want to close with this. I've used a phrase a couple times intentionally in this message that priorities are the actual building material that we are constructing our lives with. And I want you to pause for a minute and I want you to just ask yourself, are you, are you good? Are you comfortable? Are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Are you satisfied? Are you enthusiastic with the life that you have? Are you sure God would feel the same about it? And are you basing that information or that thought on anything more than your feelings? Are you basing it on what you know he says in his word? Well, if not, maybe you need to be willing to do what Nehemiah did. Let some truth come into your life and initially upset you so that it might redirect your priorities, which are the actual materials that we are constructing our life with. So, Let's take this last analogy in closing. So I suppose most of us, many of us at least, are feeling like our priorities are pretty darn good and we're constructing kind of life that we're going to be pretty happy with or we're, we're, we're hoping God will also be happy with. And so we're, we're kind of picturing, if we take the analogy, that we're building something like this. You know, we're, our priorities are good. The materials we are constructing our life with are good. We're, we're aiming for this. This is what our life is going to look like. It's going to be a solid house. It's going to be an attractive life. It's going to be a solid life. It's built on a good foundation. It's going to withstand the storms and the trials and such, such of life. But what if we were to find that we thought we were building that, but the material we were using, the priorities, remember priorities equals material, actually was constructing this. Is it possible that's actually what we're building? And we're surprised when the roof leaks. And we're surprised when the wind blows through and we feel it. And we're surprised when we look at it and our hearts feel less than enthusiastic. And I'm not talking about the house now, folks. I'm talking about our life. You see, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. He said, everybody is constructing a house. He meant a life. He said, and we're all building on one foundation or another. He said, the person that hears his truth and obeys it is building their house on a rock foundation. And no matter what life dishes out, it will stand. It will be strong and healthy and attractive. He was talking about a life that's built on trust in him and obedience to his word because we trust in him. But then he said there are other people that think they're building. They think they're building an attractive, sturdy house. But it just takes the right set of circumstances, the right storm. And when it hits that house, the house has inferior material. And our priorities are the material, the actual material that actually constructs the life that we have. And it collapses and we're surprised. So it's a simple thought. Nehemiah received new information. He changed. He intentionally changed his priorities. He intentionally changed his life, and it was a good change. He became who God meant him to be, and he did what God meant him to do. Is it possible that our loving Father has brought us into moments like this today where we can concentrate, where we can get our minds open, objective, tender, and focused so that 
maybe some of us can change the material that we're constructing our life with, our priorities today. Do you think, do you think God's meant this message just for you? Do you think maybe he's tried to get this message to some of you for years? Do you think that maybe he's tried so hard to get the message to some of you that now you're, you're past middle age, you're getting older, and you've rationalized and you've minimized and you've legitimized, but you know deep inside your priorities still need a change and you're building your life with inferior material hoping it's going to be a nice, beautiful life, but it's not. And a loving father is saying, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. Maybe you haven't even established the foundation. The scripture says that apart from Christ, we never have a life that holds together. Have you made that decision to put your trust in Christ and become his follower? It is not just a casual thing. It is an all or nothing thing. Have you been sufficiently convinced of Jesus' trustworthiness that you've become his follower? That's the foundation that's ne necessary for any kind of a life that's going to endure. So whatever the decision might be for you today, I, I hope you'll take it to heart. I hope you'll take it seriously and take this, seize this opportunity we have. Let's pray. Father, you know us. You know which of us you've been trying to persuade today to take the gift of a new set of priorities that we might have a new life for your honor, for our good. Help us to hear. Help us to respond. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.